Uh, Titus chapter 2. You must teach what is in, in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Well, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but Donald Trump is going to be the number one news story of 2017. We will be seeing lots more of this man's face on the news in the coming year. Uh, He had his first official press conference as the incoming president of the United States during the week. And the press conference was dominated by what the Russians might or might not have on President Trump. Trump, uh, what they may know about him, uh, about his life and about his alleged immoral behaviour. Now, Donald Trump was under a degree of scrutiny when, a scrutiny when he was just a businessman and a celebrity, but as President of the United States, he will be exposed to far greater scrutiny and held now to a much higher standard than before. Why? Well, because we expect more from our leaders. The people who are leading us are going to be judged by a higher standard. Uh, this gentleman found that out very, very clearly a few years ago when Bill Clinton had his affair with Monica Lewinsky. He was almost removed as President of the United States. At the time that Bill Clinton had his affair, there were around about 60, 60 million married men in the United States. And statistics suggest that probably the same year that Bill Clinton had his affair, there were around about 1,800,000 American men who also had an affair that year. He was just one of them, in a sense, but he was the only one who made it onto the cover of Time magazine. Why? Well, because we expect more from our leaders. We expect better from our leaders. We demand that our leaders are held to a higher standard. 
Now, last week we started looking at the book of Titus and we said that Titus has been left on the island of Crete. Paul had been with him there. A number of churches have been established and his job is to appoint the leaders for those churches, to appoint the people who will be held to that higher standard within the church. See, Paul knows and Titus knows that if those new churches on the island of Crete are going to function properly, they need to have good, godly leaders. They need to have leaders who believe the truth. They need to have leaders who live out the truth in their life, whose lives back up what it is that they believe. But it's not just leaders who need to live a godly life. The fact is, for leaders, I think the bar is set higher. There is a greater expectation on the life that they live. But Paul wants to ensure that all of the believers on the island of Crete are pressing on in their faith. He wants to ensure that all of the believers in Crete live lives that back up what it is that they now believe, that back up the faith that they now have in Jesus. Titus chapter 1 is really about eldership and leadership within the church on on Crete and within the church generally. But this second chapter of Titus, it's talking about how everybody ought to live, all of us. He, He mentions a few particular groups, older men, older women, younger men and younger women. But it's not as if he's wanting to give us an exhaustive list. He's just saying that everybody needs to live that godly life. So how does Paul say that we as Christians should live? Well, he says that we should live distinctively different lives. Paul highlights the reason for living those distinctively different lives. If you've got a Bible, can you open it up to Titus chapter 2 and find verse number 11 because this is right at the very heart of what Paul wants to say. Titus chapter 2 and starting at verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Paul says right at the beginning of that verse, verse 11, that God's grace has been revealed to us. What does he mean by that? Where is God's grace revealed? Well, Paul clearly has one thing in mind and one thing only. It's revealed in the death of Jesus on the cross. It's funny, isn't it? We think that it's gracious if somebody actually lets us in in the traffic or or lets us go ahead of them in the checkout at Woolworths. Well, we think it's gracious if someone pays when they take us out to dinner. Well, what God has shown us is mind-boggling grace, isn't it? When it's staggering the grace that God has shown us through his son Jesus. Through Jesus' death on the cross, Paul says we are redeemed. Through God's grace shown to us in Jesus, we have the possibility of becoming God's people. Now let me pause there for a moment because my fear is 
that we become so familiar with this idea of God's grace that we actually start to take it a little bit for granted. That we just assume that it's ours, that, that we already own this grace. It's that whole familiarity breeds contempt thing, isn't it? And it's only when we really do grasp the extent of God's grace to us that we know how it is that we ought to respond to God's grace. God's grace not only saves us, but it makes us different people. It changes us. It transforms us. We are people who have heard and received that message about God, about Jesus. Without Jesus, we don't know God. Without Jesus, there is no salvation. Without God's grace, our future was bleak. It wasn't just bleak, our future was unthinkable. What Paul said in the opening chapter is that this gospel message, go to Titus chapter 1, verse number 1, and look at what he says. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Christ Jesus, for the faith of God's elect, and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Those two things go together. Lives are transformed when you believe that truth about Jesus, when you know what it is that God has done for you through Jesus. So when you truly get it about what Jesus has done, lives are changed. Your life is changed. You will lead a distinctively different life because of Jesus. As people who know God, we live like people who know God. And as Paul says in this passage, we should say no to ungodliness. We should say no to worldly passions. We should live self-controlled, upright and godly lives. Now, please don't confuse what Paul's saying here. Paul's not saying that we should live good middle-class Western lives. That's not what he's saying. It's a bit of a trap that we can fall into in our society today. We can think that when the Bible talks about godliness, it just talks about respectable middle-classness, like most people in Australia. But some of the most powerful distractions that you will face in your Christian life will be from those very middle-class values that we swim in every day. If we're middle-class, it's very easy for us to look for security and significance and success in places other than Jesus. And when we do end up valuing those things that we find outside of our faith, well, they're the very things that Jesus says that we need to beware of. Jesus says you can't serve both God and money. But it often looks like a lot of us are trying to do that, doesn't it? We're thinking we can have a crack at it. Sure, we'll trust Jesus, but we're going to put our trust somewhere else as well, in our bank account or in the home that we own. Jesus says that we should be working at being humble, but very often most of us are actually working at being noticed and appreciated. See, the things that God values, the attitudes that God wants us to have, well, they're the very ones that we see in Jesus, aren't they? Humility and patience, endurance, love, 
forgiveness, honesty, self-control. See, that's what godliness will look like. Another motivation that Paul gives us for living that changed, that different life is the fact that Jesus is coming again. It says it there in verse 12. Teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in his present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Friend friend of mine was telling me about a bumper sticker that he saw on the back of a car one time and I managed to find it. This was the bumper sticker. Jesus is coming again. Look busy. That's not what Paul's saying here, okay? Please don't misunderstand what the message is here. Paul's saying that Jesus is coming again. The Jesus who came into this world, the Jesus who died on a cross for us, well, he's coming again. And he's coming to take us to be with him for all eternity. So how should we live while we wait? Well, we should live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age, Paul says. That should shape the way that we live. Knowing that Jesus is coming again should make a noticeable difference to our life. And do you know how it should make the most difference? It means that we hold a little less tightly to those things that aren't going to last forever. And that we cling to those things that we know will last for all eternity. Final motivation that Paul gives for living that different life, it's there in verse number 13, the end of 13 and verse 14. It talks about our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. I'm sure that every parent will be able to relate to this experience. I can think of numerous times when this happened to us. You're heading out somewhere with your young children, some family function or special event, and you've cleaned the children up, you've got them all nicely dressed and they're ready to go, and you duck off just to finish off yourself and make sure you're all presented nicely, and you come back and you found the children outside in the garden looking for worms. And they're filthy. There's mud and dirt everywhere. You've cleaned them up and now you have to start again. Well, Paul says that through Jesus, God has redeemed and purified us. And he didn't purify us so that we could then go back and get dirty again. He didn't purify us so that we could go back and do the same things that we were doing before. He purified us so that we would be his very own people. He purified us so that we would be eager to do what is good, to do the right thing, to to live a godly life. Now, can I quickly take you back to the beginning of this chapter? As I said, he gives us a quick run-through of how a few different groups of people within the church ought to handle, handle themselves. Again, it's not intended to be an exhaustive list. He's not wanting to cover every single person or every single occupation. But he says that the older men and the younger men and the older women and the younger women and the slaves ought to live in a particular way. So that the older men and the older women ought to be a good example to the younger men and to the younger women. The older men should be worthy of respect. The older women should be training the younger women interesting we have an ever-growing number of kids here at church which is a fantastic thing 
And like it or not, those kids are going to be watching you. And the closer you are to their age, the more they'll be watching you. They'll look up to you. They'll respect you. So they will see the way that you behave and the way that you act. They'll see the values that you have from the conversations that you have. They'll see your priorities. They'll hear you talk. And many of them will admire you and respect you. So do you see what Paul means about the older ones living a godly example for the younger ones? I love the advice that Paul gives to the younger men, verse 6 of chapter 2. Similarly, encourage the younger men to be self-controlled. That's all. Just be self-controlled, which when you're kind of 18 to 25 years of age, that's a, that's a tough ask. That's a, that's a big job all by itself right there. Well, Paul sneaks in one more reason for living a different life. He said it about the women, about making God's teaching more attractive in the way that they live their lives. But he says this to the slaves. And again, when we hear the word slaves, we have to be careful. We're not talking about people who are beaten with sticks or chained to walls. We're talking about bonded employees, people who would have had to work off a debt and they would be treated normally reasonably well. But he says this, verse 9. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. Why? So that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. Paul wants to encourage them to live out what it is that they believe because by doing so, they'll make that message about Jesus more attractive. Their bosses should see in their lives their honesty, their trustworthiness, their love for others, and it should make that message about Jesus all the more attractive. Okay, here's the take-home part. Three things for you to take home, three things that you may be able to think about, work on during the coming week. First thing is this, be eager to do what is good. Paul chooses his words very carefully here. He doesn't say be good and he doesn't say work at being good. Those things would have been relatively easy compared to what he actually does say. He says that we should be eager, zealous about doing what is good, about doing good works. As you face this week... Don't be reluctant to do the right thing. Don't do it begrudgingly. Be zealous about doing the good thing, the right thing in the situations that you find yourself. Many of us will be willing to do good things so long as it doesn't inconvenience me too much or take up too much of my time. I don't think that's being zealous. That's just being convenient about being good. We're supposed to be eager about doing the right thing, about doing the godly thing. We need to go above and beyond. Paul says that we should be eager to do the good thing, even if it is going to take some effort or some time. The next thing is be eager to be a good example. It may be to the kids here at church. It may be to the kids in your home. 
You don't really get a choice as to whether or not you are going to be an example. You will be an example whether you like it or not. The only choice that you get is whether or not you'll be a good example or a less than good example in the life that you live. What will your kids see in you? What will the example be? What will they remember? What will be the thing that they will take with them into adulthood about their mum and their dad? What will be the things that they think that they remember about the way that their parents lived, about the way that their parents treated them? It's a powerful thing, isn't it? I'm sure that you can all think about the own, exa- the own examples that you had in your lives when you were growing up. Some good examples, some perhaps not so good examples. Be eager to be a good example to those who are looking up to you, who are admiring you. The last thing is to be eager to be a good witness. Live a life that makes the teaching about God, our Saviour, attractive. You may be the only Christian in your workplace. You may be the only Christian that your friends regularly come in contact with. You may be the only Christian in your family. And the way that you're going to live will be noticed. Will you be making the teaching about God, our Saviour, attractive? in the life that you live. Be eager to do good. Be eager to be a good example. Be eager to be a good witness because, like Paul says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age.